Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Friday, January 15, 2021, the 92nd birthday of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Coming up next on Roller Martin Unfiltered, the fans say rioters plan to capture and assassinate lawmakers, including Vice President Mike Pence. An explosive story from the Washington Post. The attorney for the QAnon shaman is asking Donald Trump for a pardon. The woman whose daughter outed her on social media uh, for being at the Trump rally, who got punched by a black woman, has been fired from her job for participating in the riot. And that black woman, she's been fired as a security guard. Republican Oklahoma Senator James Langford is apologizing to black Tolsons for questioning presidential election results. And actor Nate Parker is here to talk about his new film, American Skin. It is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. i 
Folks, federal authorities say riders plan to capture and assassinate, assassinate lawmakers, including Vice President Mike Pence, when they stormed the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday, January 6th. At least 21 riders who stormed the U.S. Capitol were reportedly current or former cops or members of the military. Some of them were highly trained. Federal prosecutors are saying there's strong evidence that the insurrectionists included cops and military members who stormed the U.S. Capitol. Uh, and again, talk about how dangerous this is, this is. The FBI has been investigating to see which riders plotted to kidnap members of Congress and hold them hostage. They're focusing particularly on the men seen carrying plastic zip tie handcuffs and pepper spray. I want to go to my panel right now uh, on this very issue. Talk about uh, a serious, serious issue that we're dealing with and is shedding new light on exactly what took place uh, at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, joining us right now, of course, uh, is Michael M. Hotep. Uh, he is, of course, uh, he is the host of the African History uh, Network show. Also, uh, we have Rob Richardson. He's the host of Disruption Now podcast, as well as Kelly Bethel, communication strategist. Uh, I want to start with you, uh, Rob. Uh, again, more details. Republicans have, have been desperate to say, oh, this is only a few people. This is only a handful of people. It got out of hand. But according to Capitol Hill police officers, they said people were having one two-way two radios. They said this was very well planned. We cannot act as if uh, this was just, just, just a few bad apples, uh, Rob. No. These were individuals who were taking orders from Donald Trump, from Rudy Giuliani, from Donald Trump Jr., from Republican members of Congress. They wanted to do harm. This is truly a national security issue. It absolutely is. And I am happy that the FBI now recognizes that, though, this has been clear. They've been planning this in plain sight. It's been on, if you look on social media, they've been, they had a long trail of what they were going to do. They said what they were going to do, and then they actually did it. Uh, and they didn't take the, the threat seriously. We know why, because if it's white men that are Trump supporters, they can't be a threat to national security. They absolutely can. They are, they are the threat, as you said right now. And, and I really want to make the point here that these are folks uh, that really planned this out. Uh, they, they, we know that they tore out uh, panic buttons from uh, Congress members that couldn't use that. So it, had they been successful, uh, they would have been able to do this. And they were very, very close to being successful in pulling this thing off. And it really, we really have to take a look and make sure that we get our, our security together. And the security has to remove its bias and clearly go after this. This wasn't a one-off. This was a coordinated uh, terrorist attack. These weren't protesters. These weren't, these weren't even rioters. They are domestic terrorists, and we have to take them seriously, uh, Roland, and um, and we need the FBI to make sure that they are doing this. And I will say this, and, and you know, as a point of law, anybody else that was associated with this, how it normally works, people died. I believe it's at least five people that have died right now. There's this little part of the a criminal law called felony murder. And when you commit an act that's illegal and someone dies in it, you can be charged with murder even though you didn't commission the murder. That is the rule. So there's a lot of people, I believe, that are also responsible for murder, even if they didn't uh, beat those officers or actually uh, were the ones that laid hands on them. Uh, the thing here, Kelly, that we have to understand that uh, Washington Post is reporting uh, that Mike Pence, the riders were one minute away from a place when he was whisked away in the U.S. Capitol. That's how close they were to getting to Vice President Mike Pence. Absolutely. And the fact that a black Capitol police officer was the one who literally diverted the attention of the mob away from that entrance um, just shows you just how dedicated these officers are, regardless of 
of race and and politics, they had a job to do and they did it to the best of their ability, given the fact that they had virtually no help for hours but for themselves. So I commend the Capitol Police officers for really being heroes in this regard. But the fact that it is interesting to me how these uh, rioters uh, turned against Mike Pence, who is supposed to be uh, Trump's right-hand right man. So it just goes to show just how much of a loyalist they are to Trump, specifically not the Republican Party, not conservatism, not anything else, but whatever this particular man says. And the fact, it, it is a cult at this point. It is a very much a cult mentality, a herd mentality, um, all geared towards one person, because it shows that they weren't you don't even know what political party they were because they were against everybody who was against Trump. Uh, but the here's the deal, Michael. It's very simple. What these people were doing, uh, Donald Trump had turned against Vice President Mike Pence. They were right. angry that Mike Pence would not break the law uh, and reject these electors. Yeah. They were targeting him as well. I mean, there's no doubt what was going on here. And no Republican, Republican can defend what took place. Every single one of them should be held accountable. Absolutely. And, and not only should they be held accountable, some of them are absolutely complicit. Some of them are actually, it appears, some may be actually complicit in the planning of it. But, but this goes to something even deeper. This goes to um, what is really being called a, a radicalization of a lot of these Trump supporters, so, something that we would hear in association with people who are members of ISIS, uh, a, a radicalization. And uh, also, this goes to understanding how ignorant many people are of the U.S. Constitution and, the, and of law. Mike Pence did not have the authority to throw out electoral college votes for, from swing states. OK, if he had that authority, then Joe Biden would have done that in January 2017. He would have thrown out the Electoral College votes for Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. So Hillary Clinton could become president and she got three million more popular votes than uh, Donald Trump did. So when you look and, and, and also when you look at the article from uh, Politico dealing with the QAnon shaman and you listen to some of these people, there was footage that was shown yesterday on MSNBC where they're on the, uh, the, the Capitol Mall there and they say and they say we were invited here by the president. That's not the president's house. He doesn't have authority to bite you there. So when you look at, I mean, and, and, and all we got to do is go back to um, January of 2020, uh, early 2020, January, February 2020, the State of the Union address that Trump gave, and Trump had to get permission from Nancy Pelosi before he can come into the House of Representatives and give the State of the Union address, because that's not his house. She controls that. So when you go through and listen to these various statements of them, this definitely sounds like a cult, but it also goes to how ignorant many of these people are well, about law and the Constitution, things like that. Or they don't care. I mean, they really don't. What I think, though, is that they don't care. They think this is, when they say it's their country, they have this view that they own the country and that this these rules don't apply to them. That's for, oh, people like us. Like, I actually heard saw a lady said they, they're treating us like they treat black people and Black Lives Matter. Like, no, you're actually having the, lie, uh, the law apply to you. And they've been so used right. to getting away with these things that so they I think some of them are ignorant. That's probably the case. Some I think on, some of them think, very right. It just doesn't. But they think I don't it know. It doesn't apply to them. They just think this, these rules don't apply. That's yeah, what they you think. Have you, like, you have different things. You have. Yeah, go ahead. 
No, I'm I'm saying that I think it's a mixture of all of it, but more importantly, I think that they felt like they were truly disenfranchised. They really felt like they were slighted and betrayed by the government. They felt that Trump was supposed to be the president because they have been like Imhotep. Am I saying that correctly? I hope I am. Um, He like what he was saying about indoctrination. These people haven't been indoctrinated. They have been brainwashed into thinking over the course of four years that Donald Trump is supposed to be the leader of this nation, not just for the the 2016 election and the four years thereafter, but for as long as he wants to be the president. It is that indoctrination. It is that brainwashing that cult mentality that these people are using and following and truly believing that prompted them to have that insurrection last Wednesday. There's no there's no question about that. And they believe lies. It's been told they've been radicalized. But I, but I, the only thing I would differ slightly in is that Trump is definitely the leader of it. He's definitely perfected the method. But he just he got ahead of the train. He, but he is. But he got ahead of the train. This right wing propaganda has been going on for a while. And they yeah. and, and they and he what he did is he took advantage of a climate at the right time. He weaponized it. He, no, he went. He, he, he weaponized it. What he did is he made yeah. it mainstream. He invited them into the White House. He invited. That's it. Here's the people, people got to remember. Donald Trump hired a bunch of white supremacists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gorka, that, Stephen Miller. Yep. Yeah, uh, 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 Bannon, uh, Jeff Sessions as his attorney general, his first attorney general. This is who was around him. And and, and see, this is why we had to be very careful. This this is why back in 2016, leading up to the election, I was trying to explain to people that the the presidency is is, is, this is not just about one person. There were 4,000 positions he had to fill in his administration. You got to look at the people around him, people who are crafting policies, economic policies. The, the Department of Justice. This isn't. This is not about one person. People thought that that this was a popularity contest. Oh, I don't like Hillary, so I'm not going to vote. What, what the hell are you talking about? Elections have consequences. <laughs> no, they have a lot of consequences. And you look at what happened. He set the to- he set the tone. He weaponized it. And a lot of black folks, we recognize that. We we recognize the rhetoric immediately. We heard the echoes of George Wallace. We knew this was foreseeable. We've talked about it on the show. This was not a surprise yeah. to anybody on this show. This was all foreseeable. We recognize the energy. This but statement see, that's is only for that, that lynched our people. But, 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 Rob, that's only for people who understand history. Because I, I, see, I, agree. I agree. Because, see, see Trump was this, was this vicious backlash against two terms of President Barack Obama. Absolutely. And instead right. of us doing an assessment of what was accomplished under the two terms of President Barack Obama, Okay, you had the uh, uh, the um, uh, unemployment rate for African Americans cut in half. You had the lowest uh, uh, you had the lowest number of uh, people in prison in 20 years. The U.S. prison population dropped to its lowest point in 20 years in December 2015. You had a drop in the percentage of African Americans in prison, going from about 40 percent down to 34 percent. More African Americans had health care because of the Affordable Health Care Act than any time in history, which extended the life expectancy of African Americans. You had all this. And then instead of, of building upon that, and then you had August 2016, the initiative from the Obama administration to abolish uh, privatized prisons at the federal level. The, the Department of yeah. Justice said they were not going to renew uh, federal contracts for privatized prisons. What does Trump do? He, he renews them. Why? Because he was he, because Core Civic and Geo Group, two of the largest owner operators of privatized prisons, donated almost $600,000 to his presidential yeah. campaign. 
I mean, you, you, so, you, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, but the, the issue is, though, I think it's a little deeper than that. There were some real issues that people had reasons to be frustrated with. And then we, I think there was a big under I think people underestimated everybody underestimated the threat of Donald Trump that he could even win. And then when that happened and he won, it took him off guard and then they pushed hard. So thankfully, we didn't fall for it this time. But this was this was right. predictable. And we've said it. And I would argue that it, it's. This. Well, I would argue that it's a layer even deeper than that, Rob. I don't think it was just about us underestimating the power of Trump. I think we underestimated the power of white supremacy and the That's fact true. that yeah. these people had felt the threat of it slipping away. They felt their power slipping away right. by said power being distributed evenly across all races. Because let's keep it a buck. Obama's policies very rarely, if ever, targeted specifically black Americans. Exactly. There has been That's nothing, I to say. you know, exactly. <laughs> on, on his policy and his legacy, nothing is specifically regarding us. It's him, you know? though. And he, frankly, he'll, he'll be he wasn't really place. able to. Right. You know, he wasn't he'll really be able place. to at the time. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily, like, blaming him for that. But the fact that anybody other than white people benefited from a presidency and a president's policies and a president's rhetoric... That what? was a threat, a direct threat gotcha. to white supremacy. Folks, uh, today, so no, hold on a second. Today, uh, Congressman, uh, excuse me, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced that retired Lieutenant General Russell Honore is going to be leading the investigation to what took place on Capitol Hill during the insurrection. Here's what she had to say. I have asked retired Lieutenant General Russell Honore uh, to lead an immediate review of security infrastructure, interagency processes, and command and control. The general is a respected leader with experiences, experience dealing with crises. As a former vice director of for operations, J3, with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, his focus was military support to civilian authorities, military support to civilian authorities. And he has experience with national, the national capital region's security. House leadership has worked with General Honoré, seen up close and personal his excellent leadership at the time of Katrina. Our, particularly, Mr. Clyburn was the head of our Katrina task force. So he and I and others uh, know full well how fortunate we are that the general has accepted of as willing to do this. Members are moving forward with strong oversight from committees, of course to have after-action review. There is strong interest in the Congress in a 9-11-type commission, an outside, outside commission, to conduct that after-action review. In the meantime, I'm very grateful for, to General Honoré for taking on this responsibility. Uh, I dare say, Michael, that is a uh, important, critical uh, selection of General Russell Honoré. I think it is perfect as somebody no nonsense to get down to the bottom of what took place on January 6th. I think it is also, and I think he'll get down to the bottom of it as well. And I think we're going to find uh, the, the swamp and a basket of deplorables at the bottom also. Uh, so <laughs> I was pleased to hear that today. Absolutely. Uh, that's uh, it's an important it's an it's, it's an important pick. Uh, it's an important pick, uh, Kelly. And uh, again, uh, Honoré, uh, no nonsense. This video here is when he was on this show five days ago, letting folks have it. Uh, and uh, in fact, uh, just go pull the audio up. And that is starting to happen. It's starting to fire. But that was complicit. 
there's people inside the chain of command of that Capitol Police that allowed this to happen. Uh, I went into the Capitol rolling a three-star general, three stars on each shoulder in full uniform, and them ass hats took a lighter from me. You understand? They selectively applied the law, and they allowed their buddies in yesterday, and they destroyed a good portion of our house. And people need to go to jail. It need to be a DOJ investigation, none of this bullshit Congress investigation. And we need to hold people accountable. We need to catch all their phones, who they were with, their rooms they went to in that Capitol. Uh, I used to go in and out. I never know how you'd find your way to some of these rooms. So they, they, they had help inside the force. And you can assume about 30% of that force support the guy in the White House. That's just the demographics. And, and our system failed and, and that, and I dare say, Kelly, uh, if you're a Capitol Hill police officer, a member of Congress, you do not <laughs> want to see him walking through the door. Unless he's saying, thank you for your service. No, you do not. Um, I remember Honore specifically from Hurricane Katrina and the coverage of Hurricane Katrina because, you know, it's in history books now, but for those of us who were there, that was an entire mess. It was just very unorganized, very disorganized, very chaotic, uh, very heartbreaking. And to have Honore on the scene, taking the lead, figuring out what happened, how not how for, how to make sure that it doesn't happen again, um, putting policies in place so that we can move forward from that tragedy. You know, we need that right now. And it's obvious that it's not going to come from the Trump administration. Um, for the Biden administration to get to it is, frankly, a little too late because they have COVID-19 to worry about. We need something right now um, starting this investigation. And I feel like Honore will definitely be the perfect person for the job. Rob. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited to see somebody that's going to hold these folks accountable. We have to have somebody that's uh, ready because this is going to be a hard task. And I think he made a really important point. He talked about the demographics of some of the Capitol Police, but the demographics of the police in general. Uh, there, there was an article, I can't remember if, if it was from Times or wherever, but it talked about a lot of uh, black officers across the country have been upset about the radicalization of uh, members within uh, their force that are white that have been become radicalized in terms of hate, in terms of where they're going, and we know why in this current climate, but there hasn't been anybody addressing that, and that's going to have to get really, really reviewed, really the climate of uh, the criminal justice system, specifically the climate of policing, which we know has general problems, but I think has gotten uh, pretty, pretty, pretty dra drastically worse in the last few years due to the climate and due, who, due to the former leader in, uh, in our country, thank God, in a few days. Folks, uh, Republicans are doing lots of backtracking left and right. One of them is the senator from Oklahoma, uh, James Langford. He was one of the uh, Jim Crow caucus who stood on the floor of the Capitol. Uh, he's talking about how, you know, votes were being used and how it was unfair. Well, let's just say black folks in Tulsa are not too particularly happy with Senator Langford. As a result, he has had to issue an apology uh, to them, uh, saying that uh, uh, for not recognizing that his involvement in questioning presidential election results would offend them. Black Tulsa's have called for his removal or resignation for the 1921 Race Massacre Centennial Committee. In a letter addressed to, quote, my friends in North Tulsa, Langford wrote this. 
My action of asking for more election information caused a firestorm of suspicion among many of my friends, particularly in black communities around the state. I was completely blindsided, but I also found a blind spot. What I did not realize was all of the national conversation about states like Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Michigan was seen as casting doubt on the validity of votes coming out of predominantly black communities like Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Detroit. After decades of fighting for voting rights, many black friends in Oklahoma saw this as an, a direct attack on their right to vote, for their vote to matter, and even a belief that their votes made an election in our country illegitimate. I can assure you my intent to give a voice to Oklahomans who had questions was never also an intent to, to diminish the voice of any black American. As a United States senator representing almost 4 million Oklahomans, I am committed to hearing from all Oklahomans, answering questions, and addressing our challenges to strive towards a more perfect union. In this instance, I should have recognized how what I said and what I did could be interpreted by many of you. I deeply regret my blindness to that perception. And for that, I am sorry. Blind spot, huh? <laughs> really? Blind spot? Okay, we knew, exactly, we, we, knew, we, knew, we knew exactly what was going on. Joining us right now is the state, state senator from Oklahoma, Kevin Matthews. Senator Matthews, how you doing? I'm doing well. Brother Roland, do you accept this apology from Senator Langford? Well, it's not my role to accept this apology or not. It was my role to tell him not to do it in the first place. It was my role to tell him it was going to be offensive, that it was an affront to democracy, that black folks, um, and I, you know, I even tried to explain to him. Uh, not just the fact that first I said, you know, uh, to fight a free and fair election was an affront to those of us who won as a Democrat, as a black man, as a person that voted for the, the Biden-Harris ticket. I also explained to him how it was an affront to black folks that we had a first black woman become vice president. And as the goalposts continue to move now we're going to ask for credentials over and over and over. And that seemed racist. I told him that in advance of this. And then after the incident, of course, he didn't follow through with his initial plan. But that was my role as a black man, as a senator, as a person that had a relationship, had a great relationship with this guy. And so, and, you know, Roland, the last time I was on your show, I was... Uh, a guest of his in Washington, D.C. at the National African American Museum of History and Culture around this issue, around what we we're trying to do then. And so now it's my role to let him hear everything that our members on our commission feel about it, how they feel about it. Let him hear uh, what our steering committee and our members have had to say. And then... Uh, then we'll see what happens moving forward. The the irony or the, 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 the situation I'm in is that this state didn't newly find out that this was the reddest state in the United States. This is the only state in the United States that not one county voted for our first black president, Obama. Not one county did this ticket win. That's but, 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 but here's the deal with me. Langford stands up there. H how do you not know the man's targeting black people? And then Oklahomans have questions. No! The man lied to these fools and they went along with the damn lie. 
Sarah Langford went along with the lie. That is very obvious, and I agree. The question that we have before us now, which is interesting, because immediately after our conversation, I put up my statement uh, about the affront, how I felt, and all of that. And then we saw what actually happened. The big deal, Roland, is when I started this commission, I was the only black man in the state Senate. Now there's two of us, and one is not coming because of of COVID. And so I'm, now I'm, I'm back to being the only black man uh, coming to the Senate, but uh, George Young is a great member of our Senate as well. The issue that I have is when I started this work to be able to uh, get funding from the state and to be able to to raise now near $30 million, not me personally, but our capital campaign team, for this effort, I had to choose to only, the only people I had to choose is all of the elected officials that we have. And so uh, the commission was formed to address the fact that we needed to have this issue, uh, the, 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 the story told in a transparent way. Should Lang- quite should- frankly, quite frankly uh-huh. the only way that it happened here was not because everybody wanted to, to, to rate, honor the massacre. It was because of financial reasons that tourism is the third largest revenue driver. So with that, the issue is uh, on this commission, if we, this is the problem that we have. If we have the purity test of all of the Trumpers and the people that support that uh, off, then it's just all the Republicans that we have on the commission. Uh, and it leaves just us. And so uh, we're, I'm, I represent the people, and the people are upset, and they're the ones asking. And so if this commission asks him to leave, then he's going to have to leave. If he resigns, then he resigns. And so that's where we are. We're going to see if the latter and all the conversations make a difference or not. Uh, so for you, Langford stays or goes from this commission committee? That, as I just said, that's going to happen over this next week. Okay. We we have had our steering committee meet with him and talk to him. We've had our commission members meet with him and talk to him. They've gotten this letter, and we'll be meeting, I think, on the 23rd, and a decision will be made. All right, then. Um, Senator Matthews, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. All right. This to me, this to me is the reckoning, uh, Rob, that these white folks need to understand. White folks like Layford need to understand the reckoning. And when you stand out there and you and you defend the white supremacy of Donald Trump and the Republican Party, there's gonna be a pushback and black folks in this moment should let people understand we are not gonna be quiet. Uh, and if you wanna do this here, and guess what? We're still constituents, we're gonna bring rain hell on your ass when you do it. And we absolutely should, because as I said earlier, we recognize this rhetoric. We recognize George Wallace when we saw him, and we knew what this could lead to. We knew what this would lead to for us and America. And so these people got so lost in their 
and Donald Trump and following him and, and thinking that they were going to stay in power, that they're willing to follow whatever he said. And now they're figuring out how can we get those supporters? This, this is what this game is now. How can we get these supporters? That, that that's, the part, that's the first part of the game. The second part of the game is how, how do they figure out, how do they prevent us from voting at those levels? And we're seeing that play out in Georgia. They're talking about, well, let's just get rid of absentee ballot voting. So that's the new thing now. So they want to just, because so many black people voted, let's just get rid of absentee, no fault, uh, no fault, uh, balloting for everybody. That way we never go through this again. So we have to push back hard because they are not going to look power can seize nothing without demand. As Frederick Douglass says, never has, never will. We got to keep pushing and we are not, we are not going back to accepting Donald Trump. We're not going back to George Wallace. We're, we're going to fight. This is our country too, despite what people believe we are part of this country. We're not going back. We're not going anywhere. Uh, I say, keep the pressure on them. Uh, Kelly, every single person, every single one of these Republican, uh, they should be met by black folks wherever they go. Uh, and I don't care. If, if you black in Missouri, y'all should be whooping Josh Hawley's ass, showing up at his office, putting pressure on him because letting him know you don't just represent white folks in Missouri. You represent everybody. That includes includes East St. Louis. That includes St. Louis. That includes all the communities, Kansas City as well. And so yep. they need to feel the wrath of black people for them supporting these white domestic terrorists. I mean, that's a given. That is an absolute given. Well, it's not a given for some people. Not a given for some people. It, it is not, but, <laughs> you know, what, what can you say, right? But for those who have common sense, this is a given. I think that what happened with this particular senator is that instead of him being genuine with his apology, he was genuinely scared that he was not going to get his seat come next election because uh, he is up for re-election. Uh, I believe this coming election cycle, he's up for an election and having this kind of tarnish on his record, um, it, it puts his entire career um, from a Senate standpoint, it puts it in jeopardy. So I saw this more as a crisis management letter as opposed to a genuine letter to black people. Because at the end of the day, apologies do not absolve white supremacists and insurrectionists uh, of the guilt and and the actions that that perpetuated what happened on Wednesday, that perpetuated what happened in the past four years, four or five years with this president. You did, you cannot have a Trump without people like this senator. You cannot have a Trump without the support that Trump had in order to have this insurrection on January 6th, in order to have this MAGA movement for the past four years. If it were just Trump, meh. You know what I'm saying? Like, he would have had some influence, but you need a foundation in order to stand that high. And he was part of that foundation. So this was definitely more of a crisis management issue than anything else. But more importantly, it'll be 100 years since the riots. And uh, I believe it was around Memorial Day weekend of 1921. It'll be 100 years in May. And the fact that this man is on the committee to plan such a celebration, to plan such a... A, a an initiative in that state, in that city, and then to have this on his record, it, it the cognitive dissonance is right there. I say that a lot on your show, but it really, really is. And people like that don't need to be in office. People like that don't need to have authority because it creates chaos, such as what we saw last week. Michael. You know, I, I read the entire letter. I read the article uh, actually yesterday from uh, the Tulsa World. And uh, I'm sitting here 
And I'm like, either he's stupid or he thinks we're stupid. And the reason why I say that is because in the article, it says he's arguably, he arguably has been more involved with black Tulsans and particularly the historic Greenwood district than any statewide Republican office holder in decades. Okay. Well, if you are so involved, how is it that you don't understand that you are participating in disenfranchising African-American voters? Okay. This is on top of uh, Trump having the uh, challenges in the courts, uh, challenging uh, uh, Georgia elections in Pennsylvania and trying to challenge Michigan and things like this. Okay. And then the other thing is this ties into Georgia and the two Senate races in Georgia. Okay. Um, 1963. The state law that was put in place that was initiated by uh, uh, State Representative Denmark Groover, he was a segregationist. This was designed. To, this this is what this is what put in place uh, statewide runoff races. Okay, it was designed specifically to keep African Americans from having statewide uh, power, winning Senate races and things like that in the state of Georgia. So what took place with Reverend Warnock and him winning that Senate race, that was not supposed to happen. So you got, and, and what he's trying to do, what Langford is trying to do and what Josh Hawley is trying to do, they, they want to run for president in 2024. And yep. they're trying to latch on to yep. that. They're trying to latch on to that Trump coalition, but they want to be smoother with it. See, what we really got to watch for <laughs> is, is, is somebody that is like Trump but it's smoother and better packaged and more intelligent. That's what we really got. Well, that's why I'm so afraid of Pence. That's exactly why I'm so <laughs> afraid of Pence, because him and Pence, I mean, there's a reason why they were on the ticket together. They are alike in ideology. And I used to joke with my friends that Pence looks like an evil Colonel Sanders, and then uh, Trump just looks crazy. So, like, with Pence, but I especially when um, in the debates, and his interviews over the past uh, few years. Like, it, he's very smooth. He's very pointed. And frankly, well, he's, he's very conniving. But, but see, but, but, see, but, but see, no, no, no. But, see, but, but the, the difference, the point, first of all, I'm not scared of any of them, all right? Okay, yeah. I'm going to call out white supremacy a lot. I'm going to call out white supremacy. The, 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 the real issue here is, though, is that what they are trying to do is they are trying to stoke the flames, and they, like I keep saying, they want to play footsie with white supremacists. Mm -hmm. They want to sit here and they want to keep it, but see, in their minds, we can keep y'all at bay, we can tamp y'all down. What they have now done by attacking the Capitol, they've now said, no, 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 even y'all can't control us. And so now, the DOJ got to put y'all down. See, <laughs> these folks have to be put have to be put down like a wounded horse. <laughs> See, you don't here's the deal. You don't play games with thugs. You don't mm -hmm. play games with insurrectionists. No. This is not somebody look, if y'all want to roll to a capital and the law allows for y'all to wear y'all military gear and you can carry your gun, that's fine. But when you start trying to break into the Capitol, when the doors are barricaded, look, hey, people are saying, I feel sorry for the woman who got shot and killed. Not me. Why? I don't know. Not me. 
Doors were barricaded. They were trying to not tear the doors down to get to the speaker's lobby. And they, she, she tried to. climbing over people. That's my, that's my, that's my point. My, my point is, your ass, wait a minute. In the video, they said, hey, they got guns. Now, let me tell you, if I'm on this side of the table and there are guns on that side of the table, my ass ain't about to cross this side of the table unless I got a gun too. <laughs> yeah, black, you're not gonna see black people crossing that. You know that was something that they thought they can get away with because they always have. I'm gonna say this too: they've been able to, though. Uh, though that hasn't happened at the Capitol, we've had insurrections happen plenty of times before, and and, and then they were also, of course, uh, going through state capitals with guns and everything else. So you had this energy being built up. But this is traditional. When I heard people say this is not America, this is not what America does. That's wrong. Like, America has a whole lot of history of violence when it comes to uh, politics, specifically when it comes to black people. You, you can look at you can look at the uh, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina massacre as one example of many, yep. where they just burned down yeah. an entire, they burned down, uh, they, they burned down the black, the black newspaper, the Daily Record, and then they went after and took out all, most of the legislators who were black, killed their families. That happened across the South, happened a lot of places. We in America, we know, but most Americans don't actually know their history. So they're like surprised by this. This is not a surprise given the climate that we've created, given the leader and the rhetoric that we've had coming out. This is what we've been warning about. And now they've got, and now, and now the right wing has made a deal with the devil. They play with fire and they can't control it. Yeah, that's it. And so my deal is you take them out. And this is why we don't play games. This is why every single person, I'm telling you right now, Ron Johnson, Wisconsin, black folks in Milwaukee, let's take his ass out in 22. If you in Florida, let's take Rubio's ass out in 2022. Let's take that seat in North Carolina in 2022. Let's take Toomey's seat in Pennsylvania in 2022. Yep. This They're is where you exert power. You exert power. Now, first of all, Toomey has been highly critical, and he's been on the right side on this, but he's still a voter, su voter suppressionist, okay? Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is, is here. This is where you take them out. This is where you, we exert more power. They pissed off about Ossoff and Warnock? Hell, let's elect 10 more Ossoff and Warnocks. Let's drive their asses crazy. So while they yelling and screaming, we're mobilizing and organizing. That's what our job should be. Got to go to break. We come back. Remember the white woman got punked by the sister? Trying to grab her sister's phone. Her ass need a new job today. I'll explain next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. I'm in the world of fiction. What I mean, that's what I do. I'm an actress. I spent 35 years in this business. I've been in the business since I was 14. I was discovered in a basement theater in Philadelphia, a basement called Freedom Theater. And that's what I do. I play for a living. And I look and see that we're in a world that, I mean, I mean, that it's, it's bizarre where you can't tell the fake from the real. These people are not faking it. That's what they're going to, that's, that's, they're willing to put their whole lives, their family's lives, their whole, everything they've accomplished around looking pathetic and weak around a table because this man showed up and told him that, you know, uh, that he was the one and everybody should follow him. It's, he didn't even have a good, he didn't even have a good argument. He's not Martin Luther King. He has no, he has no, uh, no words. He has no, be he has nothing. He's just rich and white and male. And so people want to see that power on display and then tell us that we're not, you know, that, that we're crazy. They can't do it anymore. That's a good news.
Rick Scott here. I have just now taken over as chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. I now have to figure out how to raise roughly a gazillion dollars in order to retake the U.S. Senate and stop the march of socialism and the destruction of the American dream. There are Hang them up! Don't we can take that place. And then do what? said the incursion of the U.S. Capitol struck at the very heart of our republic. We're going to walk down to the Capitol because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You I unequivocally condemn the violence. If you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Making America great again has always been about defending the rule of law. The president, sources say, initially rebuffed bringing in the National Guard. We were repeatedly being told by the uh, National Guard at the national level that we did not have authorization. Supporting the men and women of law enforcement. The Capitol Police officer died of injuries from the attack. A second U.S. Capitol Police officer who responded to the Capitol riots last week has died. We have seen too many riots, too many mobs, too many acts of intimidation. I just want to find 11,780 votes. Today I am calling on all Americans to overcome the passions of the moment and join together as one American people. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen by emboldened radical left Democrats, which is what they're doing. Be the first African-American to become the Secretary of Defense, if confirmed, is an enormous honor and a privilege. But you know, it's not the, it's not the first time that I've been the first. Back when I was a Lieutenant Colonel, I was selected to be the operations officer for the 82nd Airborne Division. An African-American had never held that position before. And later on, I would become the first African-American to command an infantry division in combat. And subsequent to that, I was the first African-American to command an Army Corps in combat. The first African-American to be the Vice Chief of the Army. The first African-American to be the CENTCOM commander. It's hard to believe, but it's true. There is kind of a sad commentary here, and that is, it shouldn't have taken this long for us to get here. There should have been someone that preceded me. I am enormously grateful for the service and the sacrifices of those that went before me. The Tuskegee Airmen, the Montfort Point Marines, the folks who served in World War I and World War II, who performed with distinction. And it's on their shoulders that, that I stand here today. My goal is to not be the last. Hopefully we can set those conditions in place 
that ensure that I'm not the last Corps commander to command in combat or the last CENTCOM commander and certainly not the last African-American Secretary of Defense. Do y'all remember this video here? Press play. But today, there were no tweets, and there never will be again. Twitter has banned the president for life. Jolene Kent has the latest. Tonight, a deafening silence. Please, get the right video together. A Massachusetts woman <laughs> has been fired. After her daughter outed her as one of the U.S. Capitol rioters, Teresa Duke lost her job as a caregiver at UMass Memorial after her 18-year-old daughter, Helene Duke, identified her being punched in the face by a security guard outside the Capitol on January 6th. All right, y'all, cue the video up. Y'all, watch the video here. Uh, no, cue it up. You can go to the beginning. Cue it back up. Cue it back up. Come on, y'all. Thank you. Now play the video. Play the video. Thank you. Smith, the uniformed security guard, punched Duke in the face of the Duke trying to take her cell phone. Herlane retweeted the viral video and said, Hi, Mom, remember the time you told me I shouldn't go to BLM protests? Bring the audio down, please. Thank you. Bring the audio down, please. Thank you. Uh, remember she said, Hi, Mom, remember the time you told me I shouldn't go to BLM protests because they could get violent? This you? In the second video, Duke is seen trying to explain that she was punched by the black girl. Her daughter then commented, Mom, I think you meant to say the powerful black woman punched you for harassment. UMass Memorial said in a statement late last week that Duke was no longer employed at the hospital. You know what? Roll that again. I just, I, I mean, I just want to see y'all the quickness of the sister's punch uh, and, and how she uh, bloodied homegirl's nose. Uh, go ahead, roll the video, please. Quick! <laughs> Quick! <laughs> I think right there, uh, some top boxers will be uh, pleased with the quickness of that jab, Kelly. I mean, <laughs> it, it was definitely quick. Uh, I remember seeing this tweet when, um, it, as it was going viral on Twitter. But what stu what struck out to me the most is the fact that, like a lot of her peers, a lot of Zennials, meaning you know people right after me, um, their first president was Obama, right? So mm. to see Trump in office as clearly a bigot. Um, they see him for who he is, which is a bigot, which is a xenophobe, which is a racist, as opposed to their parents who still have this, this warped, nostalgic lo uh, uh, sense of veneration for him. So the, the, the dichotomy of, of, of the new generation actually trying to be better than their parents against their actual parents who want to maintain the status quo. That's what I see in this tweet. This upcoming group of youth who are about to be voters very soon have no conception of overt racism because of the work that we did and my parents did and my great-grandparents and my grandparents did. And <coughs> they don't have an example of that but for their parents. So 
so you're going to see a lot of this conflict. You're going to see a lot of this tension in homes, especially white homes with children who have actual legitimate black friends, not, you know, black friends as tokens, just to say that they're not racist, but legitimate people that they grew up with, that they identify with. Um, you have white youth who are part of the LGBT community. I believe this person um, who tweeted is a lesbian or queer in the queer community. So she got kicked out of her mom's house because of her sexuality. So that adds another layer to the dichotomy of how this generation is, is purporting to live versus how this uh, previous generation that, you know, are, are now insurrectionists or labeled as insurrectionists now, you're going to see a lot of that tension now. All so, I know is this here. Aside from the video being funny. All I know is this here, Michael. I, I ain't got no problem with these white folks losing their jobs. None of them. Exactly. There's a lot of them losing their jobs. They're being turned in by their family members. The, the, when the, FB, when the uh, Department of Justice had a press conference earlier this week, they said they've, they've gotten 100,000 digital tips. You had you had one woman. I talked about this on my show earlier this week. You had one woman who was uh, uh, in the uh, U.S. Capitol building and she was taking pictures of herself and she was there with one guy. He was sitting in the vice president's chair or something. I think they were in the Senate. She she resigned from her position and now she's being uh, uh, prosecuted. So. Uh, I have no problem with them losing their jobs, and the companies they work for don't want to have anything to do with these domestic terrorists. They're being exposed, losing their jobs, being prosecuted. So, uh, you know, but see, once again, I've been talking about this all week. Um, this is white privilege. You and so there, there were, and, and some of them have been put on the no-fly list. Representative Benny Thompson, chair of the Homeland Security uh, Committee. <coughs> Uh, he 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 contacted TSA and I think the FBI and a lot of these people have been put on the no-fly list. So there was one there was uh, one heavyset white guy who was at the airport. Daily Mail has an article about this. He's at the airport crying and he said they won't let me fly. They're calling me a terrorist. They're trying to ruin my life. Things like this. I'm like, you actually thought you could be involved in the insurrection to overthrow the government? interrupt a constitutionally mandated process, then just get back on the plane, fly, fly Southwest Airlines, and go back home and... Oh, wait a life. minute, hold up. All them white <laughs> folks who accosted uh, Senator Mitt Romney at the airport, Delta, yeah. Delta has put all of them on their no-fly list. Good. <laughs> Let me also give y'all this. Ashanti Smith, go to my iPad. Uh, she put this, she had a GoFundMe account. She tweeted, my name is Ashanti Smith. I'm a 28-year-old African-American woman who lives in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. I recently was assaulted, attacked, and harassed by a group of Trump supporters on Black Lives Matter Plaza in Washington, D.C. on January 5th, 2021. A video has surfaced where I was surrounded by a group of Trump extremists, and I honestly fear for my life. The video makes me look like I am the aggressor, but it does not show what happened prior to my defending myself. People shoved me, tried to take my phone and keys, yell racial epithets at me, and tried to remove my mask. I asked them to social distance and stay out of my personal space due to COVID-19. They refused, and I was afraid of being hurt and harmed. After being assaulted, I defended myself. I'm now facing criminal charges along with being relieved from my employment pending an investigation which places me in a hardship situation at the moment. I'm asking for support and help with funds for my legal fees and to maintain the essential things that I need to survive during this time. Any amount of help is truly appreciated. 
thank you in advance, just so y'all understand how folks have come to her aid. She had a goal of $85,000, $199,623 was raised from 7,400 different uh, donors. That's amazing. That's, that's, that's great. That's amazing. Yep. That's what social media is supposed to be for, and that can show the power of it. But, the, you know, the, this other side, these, these terrorists that walk into, what's interesting, getting back to them, you know, a lot of them are, are baby boomers, and they, you know, they, they told folks like, you know, don't go, don't take pictures of everything on yourself and don't put it on media, but then they go and commit a crime and then think that people won't see it. And they post it on social media. They post before and after and think that we won't see this. And what's, and what's really kind of interesting and funny is all these people complaining about the First Amendment. To Michael's point, they don't understand how the First Amendment works. You don't right. have a First Amendment right to be on Facebook. Facebook Correct. is not the government. <laughs> they don't Correct. have to. So all these people that Talk about not uh, private sector not getting the way, except for when they want to have their when they want to have something for themselves. And now they want to make sure the government takes over Facebook. I mean, what is it that you want here? Do you want private sector? Do you want no? You just want to have the country make the rules up uh, for you by you, and it, and it applies to everybody else, but not you. No, that's not how a constitution works. Most people don't understand the constitution. They they say they love America, but it's about something else. Clearly, as 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 others have said, this is about white supremacy. This is about your identity tied to white supremacy and seeing yourself in a order above black people. No, we're in this country together. We're gonna keep fighting. We are not going back. Period. Uh let me show you this video here. Remember the white woman out of Texas uh who uh put out that she rented a pri a private jet to fly to DC? The real estate woman? Yeah her ass got arrested too. Uh, here's her defending herself. Listen to this. Take me as a target, but I do not feel that I did anything wrong. In fact, I felt that I did something noble and I'm proud of being there. I have no shame to be there. I feel very persecuted and I feel very misjudged. I don't want them to take me as a target, but I do not feel that I did anything wrong. In fact, I felt- Come back, come on, come on. Y'all, uh, guess Snowflakes. what? You've- <laughs> I'm, fe I'm feeling judged. I'm feeling persecuted. <laughs> no, you're not feeling. Well, you are. No, you're not feeling persecuted. Your ass is. You being are being. No, 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 no. She's no. She's not feeling persecuted. She's being no. prosecuted. Prosecuted. That's the word. <laughs> that's, that's what I was saying. She's being that's prosecuted. Yeah. Because yep. she, because she and everybody like her. Like I, I saw on Fox News, they were saying, "Well, these people are confused," and everybody's saying, you know. They don't understand why people lost. And then and then you could see another clip where they, they talked about liberals and black people and other folks like, why are they so mad at the president? Get over it. He won. And then they're saying at the same tone, if you see them talking about the folks that, are, that stormed the Capitol, well, these are good Americans. These are good people. So, again, we lie to ourselves about how we see ourselves in this country. And and all of this is because we don't want to deal with race. And, and we talked about it on this show, but what I think needs to happen, and I know, Roland, you said this, there needs to be a Truth and Reconciliation Commission about the truth about race in this country. And we need to make sure everybody has it. And we teach we teach history in terms of how it actually happened and people can learn. So like, like Germany, like South Africa, we can begin to move past this instead of trying to deny uh, white supremacy in terms of its roots in our country. These yeah, folks are just truly – go go ahead, y'all. Yeah, uh, America needs a massive history lesson. I, I said this before. Americans are, are, are woefully ignorant of history. And when you um, research the uh, Daughters of the Confederacy and how, and how they funded uh, curriculums in, in the South, textbooks, things like this, 
that pushed this whole lost cause lie and this revisionist history about the uh, Civil War. So uh, this we're dealing with the aftermath of this and uh, also people not understanding American government, civics being taken out of school, people being ignorant of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, it, you know, there was there was a, a study I, I saw, there was an article from 2014, and it was a study that came out at the time, and it, it talked about how almost two-thirds of Americans could not uh, name the three branches of government. Okay? <laughs> oh almost two-thirds wow. of Americans. Now, we know, we know <laughs> Senator Tommy Tuberville could not do that. Just oh, recently. God, don't. Uh, you no, hold up. No, no, forget. Dude, Tommy Tuberville... Don't even know what the hell a Voting Rights Act is. I fired him, I by the way. That. So I, I know let, that. Let me say, as a proud point, I was chair of the board of the University of Cincinnati. In my year last year, I fired him. I am so happy he was replaced by a coach. That's why we're number five in the nation. He was an idiot. I'm very glad. One of the best decisions I made in firing him. So all right, I had to say that. Tommy Tuberville absolutely is, without a doubt, one of the dumb, just so y'all understand how dumb this dumbass is. I mean, mm -hmm. if you from Alabama and you voted for this fool, you stupid. I mean, right. you stupid. I don't know how y'all picked this dumbass over Doug well, Jones. Even still, I, no, though, wait, 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 wait. Hold up, Kelly. I am going to play this video probably once a week uh, as long as he's in the United States Senate. That means for the next six years. This man is stupid. The Voting Rights Act was born out of the black belt in Alabama. Mm -hmm. Y'all, listen to Tommy Tuberville when he had to explain what the Voting Rights Act is. This is not a Daily Show parody. This is not uh, a late night show. This is literally Tommy Tuberville in his own words discussing the Voting Rights Act. The thing about the Voting Rights Act is, uh, uh, it's, you know, you, 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 there, there's a lot of different things you can look at it as, you know, who's it gonna help? Uh, you know, what direction do we need to go with it? Uh, I think it's important that that with everything we do, we keep secure. We keep an eye on it. It's run by our government, and it's run to the, to the point that we it, it, it's got structure to it. It's like education. I mean, it's got to have structure. Uh, now, for some reason, we look at things to change to think we're going to make it better, but we'd better do a lot of work on it before we make that change. What the? I have, I, I got nothing. This, this I don't know. I'm saying. And he's a senator. <laughs> See, this is what I'm trying to explain to people. The, 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 look, he's, he's going to be one of the people voting on reparations. No, he's going to be one of the people who are voting on the John Lewis Voting Act. John Lewis Voting Act, right. the, the the George Floyd uh, 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 Policing and Justice Act. Uh, 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 we got to keep we, we got to keep an eye on it. We got to we got we got to see if the chicken crossed the road uh, <laughs> and looked to the left or to the right. Uh, we gotta uh, we gotta we gotta see if the wool gets pulled over the head because uh, we gotta make sure that at the cap pulled back far enough. What the hell? Y'all, this is one of the 100 United States senators. Yeah, the point I'm trying to make, Roland, is that a lot, of, a lot of our people say we want reparations, we want reparations. You don't understand. Reparations has to pass the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. You're going to need 60 votes in the Senate. 
if, well, if, no. if a reparations bill somehow comes to the Senate floor, he's going to be one of the dumbasses voting on it if yeah. they don't object to it through unanimous consent. Yeah, you don't need 60. What they need to do is get rid of the get rid of the filibuster by majority get vote. The, That's what they need to do. That's yeah, the first yeah, thing they need if, to do. If you do that, but but you 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 but you know you may not even have uh, 51 because you got Joe Manchin from West Virginia. You may, but see, well, the, the, the it, it, real, it don't it don't even hold up. It don't even matter if it's reparations, y'all. This say <laughs> it don't even matter if it's that. Bottom line That's is what you're dealing with on the Republican side. You are dealing with some idiots. One of the yeah. people who who was one of the leaders of the insurrection was Mo Brooks of Alabama. Alabama. Okay. Yeah. Paul Gosar of Arizona. Mm. Bibbs of Arizona. These are dumb people. Hell, I swear, I swear the second dumbest U.S. senator is Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. Yep. We need to go get we need to go get the dumbass Louis Gomer in the house. And then hold up. I gotta deal with dumbass Matt Getz from Florida. I mean, so on the Republican side, it's a lot of dumbass people. Yeah. But yeah, even so, still, Kelly, go ahead. Even still, with all of the stupidity that is a part of the Republican Party as of late, um, tying this back into the original point of the woman who thinks that she did nothing wrong, ignorance does not absolve you of your actions. Nope. Uh, using Trump as a scapegoat does not absolve you of facing the consequences of your actions. I just love how these grown people, oh my God, they didn't know what they were doing. They were just, they were just walking aimlessly. It's like, I don't know, I'm grown. I mean, what, the door, the door is open. Oh, I didn't see them forcibly removing barricades. No, I just, I thought when, when the guy with the flag was like slamming the cop on his head, he was just trying to get his attention. I mean, that, that's literally <laughs> but, but what that's these my, people that's are exactly saying. My point. But that's exactly my point. Willful ignorance does not absolve you of the consequences oh. of beating a police officer upside the head with a flagpole. Stupidity does not absolve you of the consequences of assaulting a federal officer. Uh, stupidity does not absolve you from doing the right thing when you're on the Senate floor. So if if for people who voted for these people and actually recognize the stupidity, now you are no longer absolved if they do something against your interest because they're stupid. So that's why it all ties together in terms of people just need to be smart about who they vote for. People need to be smart about what they do. People just need to be smart. No, but they're no, no, Kelly, no, 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 no. They are not trying to be smart. They are voting for these people for a reason. Rob, the reason they're voting for Jim Jordan in Ohio, the reason they're voting for Mo Brooks in Alabama, the reason they're voting for Louis Gohmert in Texas and Matt Getz uh, in Florida, they're voting for these people because they are speaking their language. That's, That's why it. Steve King kept getting reelected in Iowa. He was a flat-out white supremacist, and the white folks in Iowa only rejected him when he went a little too far with his racism. They were like, ah, we're good with your 90 yards of racism, but you kind of went to the 95th yard, so we got to let you go.
Now, had you yeah. just gone from zero to 90 yards with your bigotry, we were good. Because I remember all the stories. Well, he's been an effective congressman. And again, that's the point. That's why all these people, they're mad and pissed off at Don Lemon. Because Don Lemon said the 74 million out there, you're voting along with the Klan. No, it's unfair. It's unfair to say the Trump people, you shouldn't call all the Trump people racist. Hillary Clark called them deplorables. This is very simple. If y'all can't see the racism, and you want to deny the racism and you keep voting for the racist guy, guess what? You're going along with the racist. That's what you're doing. Steve Bannon was hired by Trump. You're voting for the racist. Stephen Miller, racist. The guy who was a speechwriter, racist. I mean, we could go on and on and on. You are voting for the racist, whether you, I'm not racist, that's not me. Yes, you are voting along with it. Yeah, I mean, you're yeah. totally fine with it. I mean, and and they use language to spark them emotionally. This is what they do. And then they paint out anybody uh, that is not with them as evil and never really explain why. And people go along with the propaganda, believing some of it is, a lot of it is racism. And they, and they figure out ways to to get to the deepest part of the human mind. Uh, and they and they trigger people and they go along with that. And people follow and they, and they follow them off the cliff. But here's what they need to understand. The people that attack the Capitol— Donald Trump don't have your back. He don't like you. He don't even respect you. This is all, he doesn't. This is all he is doing nothing but trying to keep his power. And the only reason why you see he came out with that tape, basically just condemning those people because he was trying to protect himself. Him himself. Donald Trump would run over his own mother, his father, his kids to save himself. This is who he is. But people have got so lost. In that, in that language, they got so lost in racism and white supremacy that they are hurting themselves, which is what racism and white supremacy does. This is bad for America. But, it's the, not point, good for but America. the point, Michael and Kelly and Michael first, that I'm trying to get people to understand. If any of y'all watched that documentary, The Reagans on Showtime, they lay it out. Ronald Reagan was using racially explicit language in talking to white people. Ronald Reagan knew exactly what he was doing. He was using racist language. He was appealing to their racist instincts in, 19, in the 1960s when he ran for governor of California and then when he ran for yep. president. See, he, he, here's the thing that I, that, 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 and this is one of the reasons why I rarely call somebody racist on television or any other form because what ends up happening is the conversation then devolves into, I'm not a racist. Yes, you are. I'm not a racist. Yes, you are. As opposed to what you say and do. Right. So, Trump's policies, what Trump says, when you retweet white supremacists, when you retweet uh, white, folk, white insurrectionists, you are aligning with them. But what white folks have done with this whole issue of racism, they have defined this issue to, I don't burn a cross. Yep, that's it. I don't wear a hood. I, I, don't, I don't call you nigger. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a racist. You can't call me a racist. But when you use stuff like those people, the blacks, when you see uh, protests, where their fathers, when it's uh, 
How many baby mamas do you have? When they use the racial language, that's what the issue here is, Michael. And this is why mainstream media, who should also accept their responsibility for Donald Trump, because they, and let me be real clear, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox Broadcasting, New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, all of them, they kept covering Donald Trump's birtherism as if it was an actual story. And it was, but it's Donald Trump. It doesn't matter. You covered, you covered a racist who was a, a racial attack on the first black president of the United States, and y'all covered it up. And then you kept letting him go on The Apprentice. And then you kept supporting him. That's the real deal here, Michael. And so we have to call out white racism for what it is and let them know just because you ain't wearing a hood don't mean you not focusing on your whiteness. So w what we have here, um, Roland, is you have a lot of white people in uh, who are lower uh, economic categories. Poor white people. Not not just that. No, not just well, that. I, the data I, shows I understand, that. I understand not just that. Trust me, I understand that. You got Ivy League, things like that. But w what they're trying to do is maintain white supremacy because they feel it's slipping away from them. This is all about the fear of the year 2043. And then, and then they're trying to suppress African-American votes. And, and they see this slipping away from them. And what Trump did in 2015 and 2016 is he really tapped into that white grievance. And I, and I take, people, take people back to the article from May 2017 from The Atlantic that talks about how it was actually uh, the fear, of, it was cultural anxiety and the fear of cultural changes in America, not so much, it, it, was, it wasn't so much uh, the economic Economics. issues. It, it, it's tied into the fear of browning of America. Economics plays a part of this, but see, the trick that's, the, the trick that's taking place, the trick that's happening, is the guy that they're putting their hopes and dreams in has made their life even worse these past four years because he's mishandled the coronavirus. No, no, it doesn't matter. No, 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 no. Michael, it doesn't matter. Michael, it doesn't matter. See, that's the thing. They don't care about that. Nope. What they care about is, are you keeping them blacks in their place? I, no, I, I understand. See, it don't, so they ain't got no problem being broke as hell. 10, it, it, Bernie Sanders stood on the floor and said 10 of the 25 poorest counties in America are in Kentucky, right. and them dumbasses re-elected Mitch McConnell. Exactly. So, so what I'm saying is because, they, because they're trying to maintain white supremacy, they're voting against their own interests and it's doing them greater harm. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, but, okay. but they don't, but no, 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 no. I don't think no, they in, their, in their minds, Kelly, but Kelly, Kelly, in their minds, Kelly, in their minds, no, they're, they're, they're real clear with their voting. See, their whole yeah, deal, they, but what, what they're saying, look, I'm, I'm, I want to pull this up, Kelly, and then I want you to comment, because Greg Sargent uh, rolled out some, some data a little bit earlier today uh, of a poll. So I'm going to just show you this here. 51% uh, of New Washington Post poll, 51% say GOP leaders didn't go far enough in nullifying the election. Go to my iPad. 
Mm-hmm. 56% say Trump bears zero blame for the insurrection. Go to my iPad, guys. Come on. It's like it's right here. I need to pull it up. 66% says Trump has acted responsibly. But here's the other deal. In this same poll, Kelly, a quarter of the people in this poll make more than $100,000 a year. Mm-hmm. These are, there are 55% of white women voted for Trump, an increase over 2016. So I, I just need people, I, I believe we have to properly frame the racism and the bigotry and we can't let people off the hook, Kelly, which is what mainstream media does go. For sure. Um, going back to the, uh, I believe it was uh, Imhotep who mentioned that they are voting against their own interests. I would argue that their interest is white supremacy itself. Their interest is upholding whiteness. That is their interest. It, and it is by in any means necessary uh, tactic, meaning they don't care if they're poor, they don't care if they have a dime to their name. They don't care that they live in a trailer park. They don't care that, care that they don't have an education because they know so long as that as so long as they have whiteness, so long as white supremacy is in play at the scale that they need it to be in play, they will be okay. They will have a semblance of power. And that's frankly all they want. Now for the people who are, you know, well above the poverty line, making six figures a year or whatever, white supremacy is in their interest too because they invest in white supremacy. They have gotten an incredible return of investment based off of white supremacy. So it doesn't surprise me that white people across the board don't have a problem with Trump. If anything, I think that they are more, they now understand why their forefathers wore hoods. They now understand why their forefathers did the most insidious things in the dark of night, because they could get away with it, because other people were sleeping. But now they're trying to do it in the day. Now they're trying to be bold with it. But the times are changing. Slowly but surely, they are changing. White supremacy will not be here forever. This world is browning. The world is browning. So right. they are going to fight tooth and nail to keep their power. They're going That's to lose, but they're going to fight for it. But but see, but, but again, though, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the responsibility here, though, lies in not normalizing their whiteness. And what we have to remember, Rob, and this is what I think a lot of black people keep forgetting, because you got black folks who watch TV and you thinking, well, Van Jones and Don and Abby Phillips, they on CNN and Joy Reid got a show and Tiffany Cross and Jonathan Capehart, they got a show. Y'all ain't asking who's in the executive suites. you're You're not asking how narratives are determined. You're not, you're not, you're not there. See, see, here's the deal. Let me just be real clear, Rob. You don't get a, an award from me for now calling Trump a liar. Zero. <laughs> you, you don't, you don't get a gold star from Roland for now, for now, right? saying white supremacy. See, you, you, you don't get a blue ribbon from Roland on January 15, 2021 for you talking about 
booed. They're sitting here, uh, they're targeting white voters. No, no, no. That's where your ass should have been in 2015. That's where you should have been in 2016 and 2017 and 2018 and 2019 and 2020. See, so now all of a sudden, the people look at so-and-so. Jake Tapper has courage. Look at so-and-so. Uh, uh, this anchor, uh, look what Chris Cuomo is saying now. No, where were y'all in 2015 and 2016? Yeah, I mean, they let it go. And they, by doing so, as you said, they legitimize the racism. They legitimize the craziness. And... They made a deal, too. They made a deal with the devil because Trump—this is what Trump is—he is very good at this. He knows how to entertain. He knows how to get people and draw their attention to them. And so the news media was willing to trade that off just to get people to pay attention. So they were willing to go with these false stories and talk about it and let it go because it helped their numbers. It helped them make tons of money. And— Frankly, they probably are sad to see him go, kind of, because I don't. They're going to have to figure out what to talk about now when they can't just talk about Trump. Uh, but yes, they are absolutely complicit in every single way. And how they define the narratives. I mean, there was this, and Don Lemon talked about this. There was this obsession with we have to understand the Trump voter. We have to get to them. No, what we got to do is make sure we keep people engaged, keep them voting, so we can keep this. Uh, we can keep uh, that voter, if that's what they want to do, from actually getting back in power, because. We know what that's going to do. It's going to destroy the nation. Like We have to make sure people are more involved and we do nothing to normalize this, any of this behavior anymore. Right. And, and, and I, just, I, I just want, I, I think our responsibility, and, and I want us not to let people off the hook. Right. Because, see, in this moment of unity, unity, it's wonderful, you lose sight of what's happening in Georgia right now. Yep. Mm -hmm. You lose sight of what the Republicans, the re the white guy who beat the sister for the Supreme Court justice, <laughs> chief justice in North Carolina, has been firing all of the staffers. Democrats went from a 61 majority to a 4-3 majority in the North Carolina Supreme Court because they want him to be in power. I saw a story the other day where the Arizona governor, he is leading the Republican efforts to control state Supreme Court. See, everybody keep focusing on Washington, D.C., down the street, 6-3. No, 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 no. Y'all don't understand. If they control the Supreme Courts in Florida, Mississippi, yep. Alabama, Texas, Tennessee, Arkansas, Louisiana, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, see... More laws are actually determined there than in the U.S. Supreme Court. Right. See, I, I, right. I'm it's trying to get, get our people, because I, I need people to understand why I keep the conversation on you don't let it go off the rails. Because, see, if we allow this conversation to start getting sidetracked and this issue and that issue, no, 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 no. You got to stay right here. And we got to keep our people right here. And see, while they are sitting here trying to distract, while, while Langford wants to distract with his apology. No, 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 no. You were one of 100 votes. Right. See, that's the deal. See, I think what we've done is we go, well, Tim Scott's black, Cory Booker's black, Kamala Harris was black, so they're not in the U.S. Senate. Warnock is now in the U.S. Senate. No, we are constituents. In our job, in every state where we are, is to go after every single one of these senators.
who represents us and say, we ain't going to let you peel the whiteness. We're going to show up and show out every turn, turn you can get where you're going to see us no matter where you go. That's yeah. what we have to do. Yeah. We have to push yeah. our issues. And in, in, in the state legislatures are so important uh, because of the 10th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution and states' rights and things like this. So a lot of people don't understand the power that the states have. And you de you're dealing with really 50 individual governments. Even though we talk about the United States yep. of America, you're really dealing with 50 individual governments and the power at the state level. So th th that's something that we really have to focus on. And then when it deals with power over policing, the states have more power over policing than the federal government does. I'm talking about, you know, the police in your, your yep. state, local, things like right. this. It's more power at the state level over policing than right. federal government. Right, and I, and I, but that's and that's why we're walking you through this. And one of the reasons why we need you to support Roland Martin Unfiltered is because you're not going to have this discussion on MSNBC. I, I, I got them on right now. Okay, I can flip Me the too. C. I can flip the CNN right now. I can flip the Fox News right now. I can go to all their streaming services. They're only going to be focusing on D.C. We have to be focusing what's happening in the state level. For instance, a white man who stabbed and killed a black U.S. Army lieutenant in Maryland at a bus stop in 2017 is going to be in life of prison. On May 20, 2017, around 3 a.m., Sean Urbanski stabbed Richard Collins III as Collins stood at a bus stop on the campus of the University of Maryland College Park. Collins was 23 and just three days away from graduating with a BA with a business degree from Bowie State University. He'd also recently been commissioned through an ROTC program as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army. Urbanski was charged with first-degree murder as well as a state hate crime on Thursday. He was sentenced to life in prison. That, folks, is one of the issues we're talking about because of white domestic terrorism. This is why, again, having our own platforms are critical important because we know how to shape the story. Uh, if y'all want to join our Bring the Funk fan club, simply go to uh, Cash App, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. Go to PayPal.me forward slash RMartinUnfiltered. Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. You can send us uh, via Zelle, rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Uh, you can also send us a money order to uh, 1625 K Street Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. Folks, this is what it's all about. If we don't control the narrative, then somebody else does. And speaking of that, got to go to a break. We come back. We'll talk with Nate Parker about his new film that dropped today called American Skin, dealing with race, hate, you name it. Man, this is a timely movie coming out. He's next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. And for me, mm -hmm. um, the reason I see the value, so, so my parents... Um, worked elections. They volunteered for campaigns. They, mm -hmm. they ran phone banks. Uh, I, I remember being seven, eight, nine years old. It was like you had no choice. Not, it's not like you had a vote. Mm -hmm. It was like, yo, go over there for the next eight hours, stand there and hand out these uh, uh, pamphlets to anybody who's walking in, and then we'll bring right. you lunch, and then you got some water for yourself. It's right. kind of like, okay. Again, that was, that was what, what wasn't like my brother could say, nah, we all right. right. We're going to stay at the house. I didn't work that way. And right. so for me, um, that, was an, that was a huge part of my upbringing. And look at you now. And it's very interesting because for me, service was a huge part of my upbringing. And that's just something that's just, you know, it's a natural thing. I don't think twice about going out and doing community service. I don't think twice about giving up my Saturday mornings, even if I stayed out late on Friday nights. I don't think twice about going to church in the mornings. I think so. I think that might be even bigger than 
than the civics piece in schools. I mean, I think that at this point, having that in schools at least gives the children mm -hmm. the opportunity to go home and ask their parents, so mom, dad, what is this? What do you think we should do about this? This is what I learned in school today. Let's talk about it. At least gives the children something to bring home and start a conversation with. Hell However, yes. if mm -hmm. the parents start that for the children, then, you know, then the children can go to school and say, hey, why am I not learning this here? Why, why don't I have a civics class? You know what I mean? And they'll have, we'll have more Roland Martins running around here. General George Washington's soldiers were freezing cold, fighting for independence against tyranny, domination, and control. It was their moment to stand up and fight for freedom. To many, January 6th is such a moment. The battle for the White House is now a full-fledged struggle for the survival of this constitutional republic. We, the people, are in control of the United States, and we will take our rights back. 74 million Americans are not going to shut up. This is about taking a stand where you can take a stand. We need to fight back. We win because of our ideas. We lose elections because they cheat us. We're going to keep fighting until every illegal vote is thrown out. They rigged the election in front of all of us, and nobody did anything about it. Call your congressman and feel free. You can lightly threaten them. If you don't start supporting election integrity, I'm coming after you. Madison Cawthorn's coming after you. Everybody's coming after you. Hey, we're not timid folk. We're people who understand when there's a challenge in front of us, we rise to the challenge. We fight, finish, keep. It is time to stand and fight. The Folks, uh, you look at what's happening right now in our climate issue of race and police shootings, and a lot of people are simply fed up. Well, Nate Parker's dropped his new movie. It's called American Skin. It follows up, of course, uh, from The Birth of a Nation, one of the most unbelievable movies I have ever seen. This movie getting lots of attention. Check out this trailer. How you doing tonight? Doing well, officer. Can I see your driver's license, registration, and insurance, please? Of course. My license is right here, my wallet. That's all right, son. You remember the night in July? determined that no probable cause exists to file any charges against Officer Randall. This is my son. This is my little boy. You took that from me. The world took that from me. Today we make that right. Hear me when I say this, because I'm only going to say it once. Don't stop filming. Are we the only people in this country that expected to do things without violence? I didn't mean to kill your son! Do what you did. I did what I was trying to do! I just want justice. That's all I want. This is your jury. The deciders of your fate. Today, you will be tried for the murder of my son. 
Nate Parker. Welcome back to Roller Martin Unfiltered. Good to see you, brother. It is always good to be here with you. Man, you sent me this a year ago to check out. Uh, it's now uh, it's out. It dropped today. Uh, it is getting lots of attention. Uh, and what 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 was the motivator for you to say, um, I, I got to tell the story this way? Well, you know, it's interesting for me, my way in, uh, I got custody of my nephew who was 13 at the time and brought him from the neighborhood that I grew up in, in Portsmouth, Virginia, and brought him here to, to California, put him in a very good school. And uh, he would ride his bike to school. And then Michael Brown got killed and murdered. And I'm watching the news with my nephew, who is beautiful, dark skinned, six foot, 13 and a half year old. And he turns to me and says, uh, Uncle Nate, what do I do if when I'm riding my bike, I get pulled over by the police? And, you know, the, the, the immediate reaction was like, well, you know, it's me. You call me. I'll be there wherever you are. And then I said, well, don't don't pick up your phone. Don't grab for your phone. Um, just slow down. You know, put your feet down very slowly. Put your hands up when you can. Make eye contact so we can see your face, see you're not a threat. Uh, you know, so he can see your humanity. I'm talking to him about how to conduct himself, and he's looking at me with his eyes bulging. And I realize very quickly that that I'm traumatizing him. That that me and all of my attempts to 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 push us forward and be involved with activism, I don't have an appropriate uh, or sufficient answer for my nephew. Uh, who is now at a great school um, to, to protect his life. You know, it's, it was as if I took him from out of the frying plant pan into the fire. Uh, and and I, I felt to myself, I said, I got to get an answer for him, you know. And so went to Ferguson, went to, you know, when Aaron Garner got killed, went to New York looking for, for an answer for my nephew and realized the dysfunction uh, when it came to addressing police violence in our country uh, and decided to, to attack it with my art. And that is when I started the, the kernel of that idea of how do I force this conversation uh, between these two groups of people? Um, of course, those who are being murdered and those who are the murderers in the system that perpetuates that, that, that behavior. Uh, and out of that, that, uh, that need for an answer for him, I, I wrote this, this script and then shot the film. The, the thing that, that jumps out, that line that you just said in the trailer, all I want is justice. And that's the one thing we constantly hear in this scene where the DA announces no charges. And it's case after case. It is very rare. Where, first of all, it's rare for an officer to get charged. Even mm -hmm. rare for them to be found, found guilty. Mm -hmm. And becoming more and more rare every day. You know, when people talk about progress, I mean, the reality is when you look back... <laughs> Uh, you look at Rodney King and, 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 and how he was beaten into within an inch of his, his, his life. Those officers were charged. There was a trial. Now, we know that how they handled that trial uh, and all the things that they did to, to ensure those, those, those officers would not uh, face any type of prison time. But then you fast forward. Brothers and sisters are dying, and they're literally just saying, well, so what? It's, like, it's, 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 it's the biggest middle finger to—, to the humanity of, of black people in this country because there's no reasoning, there's no dialogue. They show a picture of a, of a cop throwing a barbecue for some black kids and they show a picture of a, of a cop hugging a black kid on Instagram and all of a sudden we forget. Uh, but I, I guarantee that Michael Brown's father right now, wherever he is, he's mourning his son. You know, Tamir Rice's mother right now, wherever she is, she's mourning her son. And, and, the, and the list goes on and on and on. So the question is, 
you know, where's the backstop? At what point do we do something differently? The um, in this movie, um, it's a, he's, he's, he's taking out justice, a vigilante, and you will have people who will say, "Man, I I, I wish I could do that." Mm-hmm. And and you clearly are not trying to say do this, but right. through the art, you're really speaking to just the anger and the frustration of nothing being done to actually right. fix the problem. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There, you know, how many mothers and fathers that have uh, seen these videos of of these black children? Uh, being decimated in the streets said to themselves, I I hope that doesn't happen to me. And really, not really having a response if it did. You know, this film isn't instructing anyone to do do anything, you know, and it's not in its offers, as you saw, more questions than answers, really questions of of what are we willing to do to change the narrative. Um, I don't want to be in that situation with my nephew. Uh, and this film, in, in some ways, is just a cautionary tale. It's saying, let's force this conversation now and have it within the context of art so we don't have to see this happen. You know, with or without this film, if this continues on, we will see much worse because we love our children desperately. Uh, I know I'm willing to die for mine. So this film was for me to create a full stop. We talk about the conversation between law enforcement uh, and the citizens that they terrorize, but we never talk about we never have the real conversation. We talk about the conversation. And I think that the thing that, that the systemic, uh, 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 the, the way that the infrastructure around law enforcement, how policing is not only enacted, but how these, the, 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 the curtain between these uh, peace officers and us, that it, it is so strong that you'll never, you couldn't just walk up to a cop and say, hey, can we have a conversation about the things that are happening in America? So this character, Lincoln Jefferson, he has no choice but to force that conversation. And we are able to have a private moment in public, in public meaning for the audience to see. Questions from my panel. I'll first start with Michael Inhotep. Sure. Michael? Hear me? Okay. Hey, how you doing, Nate? It's, it's good to have you Peace on. Peace, brother. Uh, Great to be here. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, question, question for you. Um, did you see similarities between the uh, Nat Turner movie that you did, Birth of a Nation, and the portrayal of Nat Turner in Nat Turner's fight for justice? These similarities between that and uh, the character that you portray in this movie. And by the way, I did get your book, The Birth of a Nation, Nat Turner and yeah. the Making of Movement. That's the official mm-hmm. tie into the movie as well. It's an excellent book also. Thank you. Thank you. Well, to be honest, I think that there are uh, similarities not only between you know, the birth of a nation in this film, but also uh, Malcolm X and, and Harriet uh, and, the, and the film that was done um, Tucson. You know, I, I think any any narrative that addresses the question of how will we move forward in a way that protects our bodies, uh, what we should and should not tolerate. These are themes that I believe we need to, as artists, um, bring to the forefront of consciousness more often than not. If not, we will find ourselves in these situations all the same. So for me, it's it's never a, a question of um, what can I what can I do to 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 make a film that's like another. For me, it's like okay, how can I contribute to the conversation? The reality is, brothers like Roland, 
are doing the work every day uh, in the trenches. I'm just an artist. This, this is not, you know, the answer. I'm no savior. This film is no savior. I'm just trying to contribute to the conversations that are happening every day on the ground. You know, the, the conversations being driven by Black Lives Matter, being driven by Color of Change and some of the extraordinary organizations doing the work. Um, I just think that we should do, as Nina Simone says, as artists, we have to reflect the times. You know, it, it, it offers an intersection without us ha actually having to deal with this actual situation in real life. Mm -hmm. Thank Question you. from uh, Kelly Bethia. Mm -hmm. um, hi, Nate. Um, it's hi. a pleasure to meet you virtually. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. He got you. Okay. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I'm very excited for this movie, first and foremost. Um, you always hear when you're talking about creative processes, about art imitating life. In this case, this is more or less art depicting life. And... Mm -hmm. Coming from your from your movie Birth of a Nation, your creative process I can imagine was a little bit different because there was a historical reference to it. There was a historical distance from the you know from the current day to you know the day of, of Birth of a Nation. But this movie is talking about now. This is right. literally art depicting life. So my my question for you is, as a black man. What is your and an artist specifically as a as a black man artist? What is your creative process to go from black man to black man? Hmm. Um, I think my my process it, it, it's rooted in my experience in the same way that I I wake up uh, and wonder what I'm going to intersect in life that may challenge me or put me in a position where I either have to uh, cower or have to stand and fight and what that means for my family. Um, the reality is, is that so many of us black men, black women wake up and have that thought subconsciously every, every single day. So I always say my, my art is a, is, is a, is a reflection of my activism. Um, when I look at my children and I look at the legacy that we're in the process of leaving them, uh, I often feel embarrassed uh, and hopeless, you know? So, you know, I don't think there's a magic bullet, um, but I do believe this. The day that, that I lay down minutes from my last moment when I'm about to leave this world and hopefully I'll be surrounded by people that, you know, gen generations of people that, that I love, that love me, I just want to feel like uh, I've done my part. When you look at the work of, you know, Dr. King, as we as we are approaching uh, his day, uh, he did everything he did for the world before he was my age. He did it all and died before my, before he was my age. So when you talk about going from black man to black man as an, as an artist, uh, really, I, I, I'm, I'm going generation to generation or legacy moment to legacy moment. Uh, I just want to look back and have something that I can look at my kids and say, I did this for you. Uh, Matt Turner's story exists for you. This story addressing police brutality and, 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 and the controlling of our bodies and the, 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 the destruction of our bodies, intimidation of our bodies uh, is addressed in this film. Um, and whatever I do moving forward, I, want, I just want to feel like I've contributed to the, to the lexicon of our liberation. 
Um, and I think that that goes for many black men. I know I, I, I don't I won't speak for Brother Roland, but being someone that's been on this show many times, knowing how, how desperately he wants our freedom, knowing how, how much he loves us, uh, I, w- I would go so far to say that that, that is, is, is his agenda as well. Absolutely. Rod Richardson. Yeah, uh, Nate, thank, first of all, thank you for your work. Thank you for um, expressing your work in a way that uh, relates to so many and changing the narrative. And as we talk about changing the narrative, I'd like to ask, ask my question along those lines. Um, it seems like you're, and you said this earlier, you're aimed at two different audiences, essentially. Uh Black people who are being victimized by this process, and those who are who are actually uh, perpetrating the crime uh, against us and violating our bodies. Um, what narratives do you want to change with both of those audiences? If you had to just sum it up for each one of those audiences, what is the narrative you want to get through to change to each one of those audiences with this piece? Well, for for black people, it's just relentless action. Um, I think we must continue because I think we're doing it to recognize uh, until all of us are free, none of us are free. And I think that if we can adopt that uh, and lock arms in that and create solidarity in that and turn away from any type of divisive or pacifying tactics, uh, we will continue to, to march forward and uh, toward, toward freedom. You know, we, we don't know what it looks, looks like because we've never had it in this country. Um, and for those who are, are decimating our bodies, you know, I, I, I had the, um, I wouldn't say pleasure, uh, maybe it's a pleasure for the, with respect to the, the information I gathered, but I interviewed dozens of, of police officers, black and white and Hispanic, uh, and nearly every one of them asked to be, you know, uh, to, to comment on the condition of anonymity. And I found that interesting because if we are to believe that the money that we're paying, our tax dollars are going to the salaries of these 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 peace officers and you know uh uh also going to getting them let off with respect to its place in the judicial system um it's a question of well shouldn't you stand by what you do on a day-to-day basis which with respect to your job and it's not the case uh i talked to officers that said anyone that tells you that there's that they're they, they don't racially profile or they're just not telling you the truth you know, um, a lot of the dialogue that you hear in the in the in the the film is dialogue taken directly from my interviews and my research from from law officers that say, "Look, this is how it is," and and my challenge to law officers, to us, and anyone that watches this film, is to ask ourselves: Are we satisfied with firing one officer that kills one person in? That being the end all to that to that pain, that being the healing process, or are we willing to commit to destroying or or reconstructing the very system that creates that widget, right? Because I'm a big believer in programming, and I believe that these officers are doing what they're programmed to do. A lot of them, and unless we attack it from a systemic on a systemic level. We can expect this. We can expect this film to be relevant ten years from now. People talk about how relevant the film is. It's like, yeah, but I made this film in beginning of 2019, before George Floyd, before the insurrection. Yep. You know, ten years. So, if ten years ago this film would have come out, would it have been relevant? Absolutely. And if we're not careful, ten years from now, if I would have held it and put it out, it would have been just as timely, and we've still been having the same conversation. 
Nate, people are asking, um, where can they see the film? Is it streaming or is it in movie theaters? Where can they see it? Oh, well, we're, we're in movie theaters in 31 cities, limited, obviously, with COVID. We want to be safe. So in states that aren't open, we're not there. We're doing drive-ins. You can go to my Instagram or uh, into, uh, AmericanSkinFilm.com, and it'll tell you the theaters it's playing. It's also streaming anywhere where you can rent and buy movies. So iTunes, Amazon, um, it's, it's everywhere. So if you just go into to, to, to your browser and type watch American Skin, uh, you know, or go to your Apple TV or Google Play. It's 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 tonight uh, and at midnight just this morning. It, it became live, so you can watch it anywhere. And I and I encourage you, two things. One, watch it in in the dark and as big a screen as you can with people that you care about. Because when you're done and you turn on those lights, you're going to have a conversation. And I would encourage anyone that listens that watches the film to engage in that conversation and try to come out of it with action items, whether they're policy driven, whether they're heart and soul driven. Uh, whatever side that you're on, um, I hope that that's something that starts a, co a conversation that, that touches your heart and mind. Uh, well, I've got an 82-inch, so I'm going to watch it on that one. So that will right. be watch it big. <laughs> that's the uh, right there. It's, uh, and it is uh, it's good, it's good to see you back in the trenches uh, doing the great work. My last question for you, how does Spike Lee get involved in this? Um, it, it's a great question. Uh, Spike Lee is my brother, my mentor, my friend. Uh, at times, my patriarch, I call him for advice. And when I told him I was making this film, uh, he said, well, the second it's done, make sure I get to see it. So I finished it, flew it to New York. He was the first person to see it, him and uh, my, my other friend, Steven Soderbergh. And we sat in this theater. I rented theater out, smaller thing. And uh, we watched it. And it just so happened to be the day where the officers did not go charge. Uh, they got off with the Eric Garner killing, murder. And... Uh, the, it, with the, the emotion in the room when we watched it, uh, I just remember him standing up and pacing. And you know Spike, if you if you know how he is when he gets passionate, he he just was lamenting about where we are and how this is our reality and and how he made you know uh, do the right thing and had Radio Raheem, a, a brother who got choked to death, was based on someone he knew in New York. And here, thirty years later, where you know Eric Garner's killers get off on that day that he watches a film that is about more police brutality. And he said, brother, anything I can do to support you and stand with you and, 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 and moving this film forward and getting it to the masses, I'm with you. And, uh, and I, and I, and I honor him for that. He's, he stood next to me and we've taken this film to Italy uh, and it did very well in Italy, did very well in Spain. And these are people that don't speak the language. So um, I just hope that people continue to see it and have the dialogue, the hard dialogue that creates the type of healing that we need. Folks, the movie's called American Skin, uh, starring Nate Parker and Amari Hartwick. Nate, we appreciate it, brother. Thanks a lot. Thank you, brother. Anytime. Yes, sir. Thanks a bunch. All right. Thank you so very much, Rob, Michael, as well as Kelly. That is it, y'all. I, I got to go. Why? Because uh, at 8.30, I want y'all to join me. I'm going to be watching uh, a night, uh, One Night in Miami. That is the new movie by Regina King uh, that is going to be uh, on uh, tonight on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, I'm going to be live streaming it as well. Looking forward to that. After that, she's going to be on Twitter taking questions. Uh, it, it talks about the night that Muhammad Ali won. It's based upon, it's fictitious, but it actually was real. Uh, and where Muhammad Ali, James Brown, Sam Cooke, and why am I leaving somebody? Somebody give me the other name. Uh, Muhammad Ali, James Brown, uh, Jim Brown, Sam Cooke, and was one more. There were four of them 
uh, who, uh, of course, were, were in Malcolm X, were in Miami that, that, that night uh, he won. So that's going to be an uh, amazing thing to watch. And so I'm looking forward to that. So Amazon Prime Video, we're going to be watching it all together at 830. So I'll be live streaming it as well. And so looking forward to it. Uh, folks, uh, we thank you all of y'all who support what we do. Joining our Bring the Funk fan club. All the dollars, y'all can go ahead and roll it. All the dollars that you get go to support this show. Uh, you can support us via Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. Of course, PayPal.me forward slash R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo.com is forward slash RM uh, Unfiltered. Uh, don't, don't, don't show it. Zell is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. And so what you're seeing right now are the list of all the people who join our Bring the Funk fan club. We appreciate all of you for joining us. Folks, I will see you guys on Monday right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Y'all have a fantastic weekend. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.